This week on Rotten or Righteous, we ask the question, Blasphemy? Hello there. I didn't see you. I reckon you're here for another episodic tale of our little radio play that we call Rotten or Righteous. With me today, as always, are my friends and kin. We got Luke, simple boy who looks after yon ponies down the way spell. Grandpappy Scott, who lost most of his leg in the Great War and some of his marbles of late, but he's a docile old coot with a lovable heart. And me? Well, there ain't much to say about me. I'm just the simple mayor of this here humble community, and my handle is Zach Geiler. Welcome back to the show. Welcome to Rotten the Righteous. It's a show where we look at faith-based media and review it on a scale of 1 to 10. We have survived the gauntlet that was three weeks of Battlefield Earth, and there's not a cyclo in sight, Scott. I am thankful for that. But there may not be psychos or cyclos in sight, but there's a lot of psychos. Okay. <laughs> How'd you I become the seen... mayor of this town? Did because we vote been... on that? Because I feel no, like if we, I, I, if we pulled the population, listen, you listen, wouldn't have it's... the majority. Now, as you can guess by my accent at the beginning, we're doing a book this week. <laughs> And if you hadn't drawn the Clearly. conclusion. <laughs> we are going to be looking at Clarence Jordan's Cotton Patch Gospel. You Either of you know anything about Clarence Jordan? No. No. No relation to Michael, I assume. Yeah, they're, they're second cousins three times removed. Ah. Can he be the mayor? I don't know. He's dead. Um, He's qualified dead. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you a little bit about old Clarence. Was he in, in 19... Was he in It's a Wonderful Life? Are you about ready to tell me some more octopus facts? No, not yet. I have some. Every time you interrupt, I, I expect in octopus pocket. facts just come pouring out of your mouth. Nope. That's great. So he's the angel in It's yeah, a Wonderful Life? in A Wonderful Life. Remember Clarence, yes. he lost his wings? Yeah. I don't know. I still have never seen that movie. You're a sinner. You even call yourself a Christian. You're terrible. <laughs> Seriously, you've never seen It's a Wonderful Life? This is the third time we've had this conversation. Maybe that's why you're so sad, Zach. Do you not remember that? Do you not remember what we said that in December we're going to do It's a Wonderful Life and we're going to do The Ten Commandments because those are two movies that I haven't seen? Yeah, but I'm still shocked. We should do the It's a Wonderful Life next week and then again in December. We should do It's a a Wonderful Ten Commandments. That's where you watch the first half of It's a Wonderful Life and the second half of The Ten Commandments. And then piece them together into one overarching story. Right. And the story is it's a wonderful Ten Commandments. I don't know. Paul said the Ten Commandments or weren't all that great. We could do the Ten Lives. It that doesn't sounds sound better. as good. It doesn't have quite a ring to it as the wonderful Ten Commandments. But the wonderful Ten Commandments was the sequel to Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Oop, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, let me tell you about Clarence Jordan. In 1912, Clarence Jordan was born in Taubaton, Georgia, to J.W. and Maude Josie Jordan. Growing up in the Deep South in the early 1900s, Jordan saw the social and economic inequality and racial divide firsthand, and he was appalled by both. To be treated differently because of how much money you earned or the color of your skin didn't sit well with the young Jordan. Now, so far in his story, just a few sentences in, I'd just like to say I'm a Clarence Jordan fan. I mean, he is in turn-of-the-century, deep south, and he's having these unusual feelings, especially compared to his other Caucasian uh, uh, neighbors. He's got his mind and his heart in the right place. He's got his mind on his money and his money on his mind. What was that from? Got my mind on my money and my money on my mind. It's like a Kanye song. Kanye's a Christian, though. We should have Kanye on the podcast. Perfect. You guys number? I forgot. He texted it out to all of us when he converted. Uh, Some of us have it, Zach. Okay. Hey. All right. Do you know octopus have three hearts? (sighs) Yes, I do. They stole yours. (laughs) (laughs) While attending the University of Georgia, Jordan started to believe that the roots of poverty were spiritual as well as economic. This led him to enroll in the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. There, he earned his Ph.D. in Greek New Testament in 1938. And while at seminary, he met and married the love of his life, Florence Kroger. I do not know if she's related to the grocery store, Scott. I knew that was going to be your question. I don't know. (laughs) At least give me time to ask. No, but... Clarence Jordan went Krogering, and he married it. All right. After college, Jordan met another couple, Martin and Mabel England. And in 1942, they moved to a 440-acre piece of land in Americus, Georgia. The goal was to create an interracial Christian farming community. And they called the farm Koinonia, after the Greek word for fellowship, that was used to describe the first Christian community in Acts 2 and verse 42. The Koinonia believed, according to their own doctrine, equality of all persons, rejection of violence, being good stewards of the earth, and common ownership of possessions. Really, besides the communism, I'm on board. This sounds good. I wouldn't mind having a little Christian community farm. As long as you're not the mayor. It's, Jesus is the mayor. I'm just the deputy mayor. <laughs> you know what happened to the deputy, though? Nope. He got shot. He didn't. The sheriff got shot, but he didn't shoot the deputy. <laughs> not in my story. Not <laughs> a big uh, Not a big Bob Marley fan, are you, Scott? The sheriff's gonna live, baby. For a while, the Koinonians lived peaceably with their neighbors. Then, during the throes of the civil rights movement of the 50s and 60s, the farm became a target because it was interracial. And this was seen as a threat to the majorly white citizens of Sumter County, Georgia, where the farm was located. First, a boycott was levied against the farm. And when the locals refused to buy the products that the Koinonia farm produced, the farm was almost thrown into financial ruin. Add several acts of violence and a couple of bombings, Things really weren't looking too good for Koinonia Farms. At his most desperate hour, Jordan went to then-President Eisenhower for help. But the president refused and told Jordan to speak to Georgia's governor. 
the governor who or the governor of Georgia, rather, who at the time was a big supporter of segregation, when Jordan came and asked him for help, well, he took it as an opportunity to take a shot at Koinonia's farm, who he didn't like because of their racial equality. And instead of helping the farm, Georgia's government investigated Jordan and the members of the farm for purported communist ties. Between the government's investigation and frequent attacks from hate groups like the KKK, it seemed like everyone was trying to force the farm to shut its gates for good. However, the members of the farm doubled down on their Christian ideals and responded with nonviolence, prayer, and a renewed commitment to live the gospel. Realizing that they could not count on the local economy, the farm began a mail-order business that shipped their produce across the country. A mail-order business that, according to their website, still sustains their community today. I thought it'd be nice to get you guys a treat from Koinonia Farms, just a little Easter egg from this week. Uh, however, I'm not going to do that for two reasons. Uh, number one, you guys really just don't do anything for the podcast. And number two, <laughs> the prices of their stuff is really expensive and frankly more than either of you deserve. <laughs> for example, <laughs> I could have gotten you some summer chocolate for $55. What? I am not spending fifty-five dollars. I don't care if the chocolate—well, maybe I'd spend fifty-five dollars chocolate with solid gold. That because why would you sell solid gold for fifty-five dollars? That's 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 a bad return on your investment in gold. But yeah, or maybe I could get you some summer brittle. Don't know what that is, but you could find out for fifty dollars. Also, they have quote biologically grown pecans. <laughs> I liked pecans, but but but. Aren't all pecans a- biologically grown? <laughs> Maybe not. It's a good question. Not when you're, not when you're trying to sell them for really really expensive price. If a pecan isn't biologically grown, how is it grown? In a lab. We have metaphysically grown pecans. Their stuff looks pretty good. We harvest them from behind or from beyond. <laughs> <laughs> from. <laughs> we, <laughs> we harvest them from behind the beyond. <laughs> Oh, and you can get your biologically grown pecans from anywhere from $16 to $362. How much pecans come in a $362 order of pecans? I do not know. Not enough. By the late 1960s, hostilities towards the farm were dissipating, leaving Jordan and Koinonia Farms with more time for other evangelistic pursuits. One of those pursuits began in 1965 when Millard and Linda Fuller visited Koinonia. Within a few hours after meeting Jordan, the couple decided to make the farm their permanent home. The, Fuller, or the Fullers were millionaires who were struggling in their marriage and tired of living a life based on their worldly possessions. So they decided to sell everything and live a simpler Christian lifestyle. They used their vast fortune to revitalize Koinonia and help expand the farm's ventures. Koinonia changed their name in 1968 to Koinonia Partners after the Fullers arrived. And one of the partnership ventures was called Partnership Housing, which the Fullers were heavily involved in. Partnership Housing sought to provide affordable homes at costs with a no-interest mortgage for low-income families. Of course, you know this organization by another name. Because in 1976, Partnership Housing changed its name to Habitat for Humanity. Now you know the rest of the story. Thanks, Paul Harvey. But that leads us to this week's item under review. 
Following the decline of violence, Clarence Jordan began another project called the Cotton Patch Gospel. Jordan wanted to create a homey translation of the New Testament writings. He believed that in order to appeal to a larger group in the Deep South, the Greek manuscripts needed to be translated not only into the dialect used in the South, but also the context and setting of the scripture. For example, Jordan retitled Paul's letter to the Ephesians the letter to the or the letter to the Christians in Birmingham. His translation of Ephesians 2, 11 through 13 is a good example of the changes Clarence made. <clears throat> so then, always remember that previously you Negroes, who sometimes were even called by thoughtless white church members, were at one time outside the Christian fellowship, denied your rights as fellow believers, and treated as though the gospel didn't apply to you, hopeless and God-forsaken in the eyes of the world. Now, however, because of Christ's supreme sacrifice, you who were once so segregated are warmly welcome into the Christian fellowship. Or besides changing Jew and Gentile to white man and Negro, Jordan converted all references to crucifixions to references to lynching. Why did he do this? Well, this is Jordan's explanation in his own words. There just isn't any word in our vocabulary which adequately translates the Greek word for crucifixion. Our crosses are so shined, so polished, so respectable, that to be impaled on one of them would seem to be a blessed experience. We have thus emptied the term crucifixion of its original context of terrific emotion, of violence, of indignity, and stigma of defeat, I have translated it as lynching, well aware that it is not technically correct. Jesus was officially tried and legally condemned, elements generally lacking in a lynching, but, have obser or, but having observed the operation of Southern justice, and at times having been its victim, I can testify that more people have been lynched by judicial action than by unofficial ropes. Pilate at least had the courage and honesty to publicly wash his hands and disavow all legal responsibility. See to it yourselves, he told the mob, and they did. They crucified him in Judea, and they strung him up in Georgia with a noose tied to a pine tree. In Jordan's Cotton Patch Gospel, Rome became Washington, D.C., Judea became Georgia, and Jerusalem became Atlanta, and Bethlehem became Gainesville, Georgia. And that's what we're going to be reviewing this week. We will read the Cotton Patch Gospel and rate it according to our rotten or righteous scale. Now, the book is 444 pages long. Me and Scott just simply do not have the time to read that. Luke, who's an unemployed <laughs> bum, has more than enough time to read that. But I don't want to be mean and force him to read the whole book. Thank you. I got important things to do. Right. Now, the copy of the Cotton Patch that I own is the complete collection. You can buy it for twenty. I don't know why I just pit, hold it up and showed you guys, like you can <laughs> see it listening to our podcast. But it's a complete collection. You can buy it. I actually bought it from Amazon, but you can buy it from Coinania Farms directly for twenty bucks. But one of the more interesting aspects of the book comes at the very beginning, because wouldn't you believe it? There's an introduction by President Jimmy Carter. Right on the front page. What? Wow. It's very short. Let me read this to you. Get you in the, the right head space. 
Jimmy Carter writes, Clarence Jordan, by anyone's measure, was a rare man. Educated in both agriculture and the Greek New Testament, Clarence was the founder and spiritual leader of Koinonia Farms, just a few miles from where I grew up, or in Plains. He was a spirit, or he was a fearless and innovator defender of human rights. Christians at Koinonia Farm rejected violence, lived in interracial fellowship, and embraced their neighbors, many of whom were black tenant farmers. They committed their lives to living out the teachings of Jesus, but the people surrounding, or the people of surrounding Sumter County, met their efforts with suspicion, hostility, harassment, and harassment. Boycotted and bombed, but never defeated, the Christians at Koinonia Farm have survived and served ever since. Rather than take part in the demonstrations of the civil rights era, Clarence believed he could effect greater change through living an authentic Christian life. Koinonia was evidence of that life. So was Jordan's Cotton Patch Gospel. What better way to make clear the radical message of Jesus than to bring that message to the then-present-day rural 20th century South? It is one thing to read and imagine the gospel story set in centuries past. It is altogether different to see our own stories, failings, and prejudices as a part of Christ's story. The Cotton Patch Gospel holds a mirror to modern Christians. In that mirror, we see both our inadequacies and our potential for Christ-like lives, reflected alongside the life and work of Jesus. That reflection, Clarence Jordan believed, would point us in the direction we should go in the journey uh, to which Christ calls us. Our humanity is reflected next to Christ's humanity, and we see the divinity, the presence of God in both. Transposing the Gospels to the 20th century has sometimes, has sometimes jarring results. Bethlehem becomes Gainesville, Georgia, the manger becomes an apple box. Crucifixion becomes lynching. The message of Jesus becomes personal and disturbing. As Dallas Lee wrote, Clarence was a disturber of the peace, especially if that peace was the divisive, racist, economically unjust, dusty peace of the rural South. When the gospel moves across the centuries and comes home to us, we are invited to participate. When we recognize ourselves in the transcendent story, the word does indeed become flesh. Perhaps Clarence Jordan's most enduring legacy is his ongoing invitation to participation in the love of life of Christ. That's what Koinonia is, after all. More than anything, that's what the Cotton Patch Gospel calls us to do. May we all continue to live out our part of the Gospel story. Jimmy Carter. You know, I always thought that the Cotton Patch Gospel was just a joke. Because that's the only way I've ever heard it referred to, is people like mocking it, because it, I thought it was like some racist joke that somebody came up with it in their basement. I didn't realize that so it was I. actually something that someone intended for like a, in a somewhat noble um, endeavor. So I think that uh, I, I was one of those that mocked the cotton patch, and I'm still going to mock the cotton patch, as we'll see in just a moment. But I, at the same time, don't want to... I don't want to dismiss that this book may have merit in helping us understand the gospel story a little bit better. Interesting. Now, Scott keeps preaching that it's blasphemy. Every time I bring it up, Scott goes, blasphemy! Why is it blasphemy, Scott? And his answer is, because it's blasphemous! And I said, well, thank you. Scott, that was about as informative thing as you've ever said. Why don't you say it on the show? It is blasphemy. And, uh, 
It's not. It is. I, I disagree. I disagree. I, I, I don't understand why the gospel can't be understood for how it's written, and to change the the settings and you see in these and and I haven't I have not yet yet read the uh, one I'm going to uh, read the letter to the Christians in Atlanta. Uh, there was no letter to the Christians in Atlanta. It's First Corinthians and Second Corinthians, I think. Um, in just a little bit of the research I've done, for example, John the Baptist conducts baptisms in the Chattahoochee River. No, he didn't. <laughs> Why? Well, that's not blasphemy. It, it. It's not. Is we can use certain things. I'm not saying that this can replace the gospel. I'm not saying that we can take this to the pulpit or anyone should preach from it. But what I'm saying is, is by changing the setting, not the context, but the setting into something that is more familiar can help us relate to it more. What would you relate to more, Scott? You know the Chattanooga or the Chattahoochee River. You know the South. Do you relate to that more than the Dead Sea? Have you ever seen the Dead Sea or the Jordan River? I've never seen the Dead Sea. Do you, or the Jordan do you know what River, it's like to go out in the Galilee and? And I haven't seen anything over in Israel or. Uh, the Dead Sea or the Jordan River or the Red Sea or any of that. But to me, it changes the Word of God because Jesus was not born in Gainesville. He was born in Bethlehem. But why does it... But, but if he was born in Bethlehem and raised to become king, that's the Bible message. I'm not arguing mm -hmm. with you. But how does that change the context if we're putting in an American dialect if he was born in a town in america and raised to become president why lie how does that why change lie about it why it's not a lie he wasn't born in gainesville clarence jordan never once said that hey uh jesus was born in gainesville not one time does he say that he says i am taking the story out of the middle east and putting it into america it happened in the middle east that's the true story here's an interpretation that may help you connect to it better emotionally I don't like it. I think it's garbage. And I don't understand why we can't take a look and consider things as they were written to understand in that context to come and say, well, uh, there's Christians down in Atlanta. Of course, there's did Christians Jesus, in Atlanta, but they're not. That's not the first Corinthian letter. Did, did Jesus use illustrations to help people understand things better? Yes, he did. Did he use parables? Yes, he did. And so what's the difference between this is a parable of Jesus? They're just taking it out of context and putting it in Southern America. Yeah, they're taking it out of context, and Clarence Jordan is not Jesus. He never claims that he is. He changes the Bible. He changes he the wording. Uh, okay, do you well, not think, use... I think, I think ahead, one Luke. thing that wasn't clear to me is that I was thinking that this was um, this was like a replacement to the Bible. Like he was like, oh, since... You guys can't read the the regular Bible. I'm gonna rewrite it for you and you know give it to you. But you just said that that wasn't his intention. That this was just something like almost like a companion to help them understand some of the emotions behind it. Like I have less of a problem. I have a I would have a big problem. I think if it was like a replacement, right? You but know. it was never meant to be that. If it, yeah, okay. That well, that that is helpful. I thought that it was. I still don't like it. Well, you know, it, it there's he's it commentaries add to the scripture all the time. Do they not? They'll take one verse and they'll expound on it for paragraphs and paragraphs and paragraphs. He changed both the setting and the language of the New Testament. I literally read in the con or in a commentary today 
they were explaining farming in the first century. Uh-huh. And they said it would be comparatively to this type of farming that we know today. They changed the setting and the time period of the New Testament and helped in order for us to understand it better. That they compared. They compared. This is a comparison then. Scott, he takes the New Testament and he compares it to what it would be like if it took place in the 20th century. It's garbage. <laughs> I, I I think that it has... For, for what purpose? It, I mean, why, why can... Why is there folks that Clarence Jordan thought can't understand the biblical text that they would... It's not... Go ahead. It's not that he'd said that they can't understand the biblical... Why, why do you own commentaries? Why can't you just read the Bible? I do read the Bible. I do too. But why do you have commentaries? Why do you use commentaries in your teaching? I, to get other people's views. And if, you want to, okay. and if you want to tell me that John the Baptist baptized in the Chattahoochee River... That is totally against what the Bible has to say. It doesn't help me understand anything any better. The setting for the Bible was in and around Israel and throughout the Middle East over there. It's not in southern southern United States. Scott, you're arguing in circles. I'm not saying that he's trying to replace the Bible, but I am saying that there is merit in trying to take the Scriptures and explain it in a way that people understand. That's what we do every Sunday, is we take the Scriptures, we try to explain it in a way that makes people understand. He is not saying that Jesus was born in Gainesville, Georgia. Then why However, did he by say putting that cotton patch? He did. I just read it. I know. I'm saying why. He was born in Bethlehem. Why say he was born in Gainesville? I mean, how does that help anybody understand the birth of Jesus better? Because it uses terms and places that people would understand more and helps them connect more emotionally to it. I don't like it. It's live. So it's like a giant sermon illustration, I think. is Right. Because we... Yeah, I, I, I'm not... I'm kind of in the middle. Like, I don't particularly like it. Well, no, and I'm not saying that it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. I'm not even recommending people use it. But what I am saying is to just sit there and flat out throw it away because you just don't like it. He And I'm, I'm just arguing that it's not blasphemy. That's basically my biggest argument. Here's my reason for yeah. not liking it. It is not accurate to the biblical account at all. And but it's not claiming to be. Yeah, I feel like it's like a giant. It's like a giant sermon illustration. So if you give a sermon illustration, <clears throat> you're not talking about. You're you're taking a biblical example or story, or you're trying to draw out a particular feeling, and you <clears throat> you use a illustration or a story uh, that doesn't have any. The characters are from outside the Bible. The locations are from outside the Bible, but it, you're you're getting at something that's contained in both of the stories. And so, I suppose if you look at the Cotton Patch Bible as <clears throat> one big illustration, that's what he's doing. Like he's right. he's saying there's some similar attributes here that I want you to understand by using pictures that are familiar to you, and then that will help you to come back and understand the Bible. Let, let me give you an example, Scott. All right, in Matthew 9 and verse 16 and 17, Jesus is saying nobody pours new wine into an old wine skin because it will expand and, and crack and break, right? Uh-huh. I'd, I've never used a wine skin. I can go and, and find what a wine skin was and how it worked, and I do that whenever I preach that. Listen to Jordan's, and he doesn't call it a translation. 
He's never once says it's a translation. And he fully admits that it is not the Bible. But he goes, no, nobody ever uses new unshrunk, or unshrunk material to patch a dress that's been washed. For in shrinking, it will pull the old material and make a tear. Nor do people put new tubes in bald tires. If they do, the tires will blow out. The tubes will be ruined and the tires will be torn up. But they put new tubes in new tires and both give good mileage. Now, I'm still separated from putting tubes in tires. When I go out and buy a tire, it's the whole kit and caboodle. I don't have to buy separate tubes or anything like that. That's after... Or that came before my time. However, I am more familiar with tubes inside of tires than I am with wine inside of wineskins. That helps me understand that passage a little bit better. It's just an illustration, man. I, I, I perfectly understand that, but here's a guy that is a Greek scholar that I feel like has taken and rewritten the Bible that is not true to the Greek and what the Bible has to say, and he is changing. I, I love using the tire as an illustration, but that's not what the Scripture says. If this was You're a right, commentary but... as opposed to a uh, uh, the, the, the gospel or the epistles and a, a interpretation or a trans, uh, transliteration of what was written, it's wrong. Well, that's kind of what he approaches it as. He's, he's putting in book, chapter, and verses so that you can follow along in your Bible and read the Bible and then read his illustration right beside it and help you understand it. Do I agree with his doctrine in it? Absolutely not, I don't. But in the story, and, and some of the things that he uses, he sets it up saying, this is not the Bible. But I'm going to go through the Bible, and I'm going to take these passages, which you can read, and from the beginning to the end, he never finishes because he dies before he can finish it. But with that understanding, he's saying, look, this, the whole thing is a comparison. He doesn't say like every five seconds because he doesn't need to because he already set it up in the beginning. You read this chapter. This is what it would be like if it happened in America. That's the way I'm approaching it. Not that it's replaced in the Bible or ever could replace the Bible. And I don't think that's the way Clarence Jordan approached it. He is just giving his illustration to help us connect emotionally using our culture. So those that use the cotton patch, what were they using it for? Nobody uses the cotton patch to preach. I didn't, that's not what I asked. I said those who use used, the cotton patch or it's, read the cotton patch, why are they reading it? The same reason that we read commentaries. It's one person's interpretation to help us understand the Bible a little bit better. So when I read the scripture and then read three commentaries, that's what you're telling me, that that the people that use the cotton patch, they're reading out of the NIV or the ESV or ASV or whatever their preferred uh, preferred Bible is, and then from there, they're going to take a look at Truth for Today, they're going to take it to the pulpit commentary, and they're going to take a look at the cotton patch. Are they using the cotton patch for their biblical material? I'm saying that it is an option to use. It is a tool that has been written by man and is faulted because it has been written by man, but it is still can be used as a tool. I would never have thought about that tire illustration in, unless I read it right there, mm -hmm. right then and there. Mm -hmm. But it's a good illustration. I may use it later on. It's just another tool. Would you say, um, uh, here's a perfect example. A Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis, right? Okay. The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, those books are a retelling of the gospel set in a fantasy world. But I doubt if I put those in front of you, you would have gotten as angry as you're getting right here with the cotton patch. I'm not angry at all. I just don't, I don't like it. I don't think it's appropriate. 
Scott, I think it's Scott, is you're like an insult to the word of God. You're one inch away from that time in class you yelled at me. No, I'm it's not. the only time I've ever seen you this worked up. <laughs> I do like I just I don't I don't. I, you only so you only yelled at Scott or you only yelled at Zach one time in preaching. I know, school? isn't that, that amazing? Is admirable. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> yeah, and it I was, and I patience. honestly didn't deserve it. For I, I, I Scott, no, I said excuse me, Scott, because I was trying to get down the aisle, and he just goes, "I know I'm fat," and he scoots in. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably a buildup of many. Uh, it was. Of, it uh, was your nonsense. No, and I'm. Luke, where where are you at here, man? Can I say this just real quick? I am really troubled by the changing the setting of the biblical account. And I can't, I struggle with the idea of because he was born in Bethlehem, I can't understand his birth as well as I could understand it if he was born in Gainesville. It's just such a reach. Okay, you are a, here's, my last argument, and we're getting good audio. This is the first time we've ever had like a real discussion. I don't think people are going to like it because it wasn't funny. It was I scary. scary, but, yeah. <laughs> and Luke just sat there and did nothing. But that's why you're not getting $55 chocolate. I <laughs> was evaluating the arguments, and then I gave my, my thoughts. Let me, let me, okay, you're, this is before the internet, this is before... 24-hour news and all the information you could ever want at your fingertips, right? Mid-century, 1900s, rural South America, or South America, rural <laughs> United States America, South. The, the way I see it, and I, I make fun of it, and it's funny that uh, Jesus was born in Gainesville and the angel tells him to uh, flee Herod by going to Mexico, right? That's I, I, that's something to make fun of. Ain't nobody going However, to Mexico. However, in... In the mid-1900s, I know where Gainesville is, and I know where Mexico is, and I can picture those things inside my head a lot easier than I can picture Bethlehem and Egypt, because I'm more familiar with that geography. You don't have the map in front of you. There's a different country. There's a different culture. I understand that. Jesus fleeing from Bethlehem to Egypt, he was fleeing to a different country, a new country, I understand that better now because you said Gainesville to Mexico. So in the mid in the mid eighteen hundreds or mid nineteen hundreds, do they really understand Gainesville to Mexico though? I, I think that they have better access at a map of America and know where Mexico is better than they know where Egypt is. The Middle East, yeah. Um, Luke, what's your thoughts? Well, uh, was the Earth still was the, the Earth is flat? So oh. <laughs> I think that they they probably understood both. <laughs> Hmm. You know, and I know I, I'm not meaning to get us. I just I printed off something today from the Cotton Patch Gospel. But in the musical, uh, Jesus was not crucified, but lynched by the KKK. Is that right. is that accurate? No. Oh well, yeah, he's he's lynched by Jews are replaced with white supremacists. Wow. Because again, look, and 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 I get what you're saying, Scott. Mm-hmm, I truly mm-hmm. do. But isn't it easier to understand the hatred? of the Gentiles and the Jews, the hatred the Jews had for the Gentiles, if you look at it through the racial lens of the KKK's hatred for people of color. That's something you're you're more familiar with. I do not think he's trying to replace the gospel, but by giving these analogies, it does help people connect more emotionally with the scriptures. That's all I'm saying. 
Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not arguing because I tell you what, I looked at a couple things today in the the letter to the Christians in Atlanta, which I think is hogwash. But I was reading through. Well, no, that's not true. I read through a little bit of that, but also James. I read through James, mm-hmm. and uh, there there was some things in there. I thought, well, that's I like how that's said, um, but it, it's just it, to me, it's just difficult. Well, after that serious moment. <clears throat> But I, I love you, and I respect you, and I appreciate you doing this. Oh, yeah. it's And I look... F- I, I knew today that we were going to have this discussion tonight. But, you, but you know, I, I I see where you're coming from, and hopefully you see a little bit where I'm coming from. Yeah. And, well, I, I'm anxious. I am anxious to go and read to see... Now I'm not so anxious with what I assigned yeah. you. Well, um, hey, Luke, you know, it's been kind of intense here for a few minutes. Can you tell us an octopus joke? I have an octopus fact, but I don't have an octopus joke. Okay, great. Uh, Aristotle thought octopus were really dumb because they would swim up to people and like play with their hands if they stuck them under the water, and then the people would grab them and eat them. Uh, but actually, octopus are really intelligent; and they're just curious. So don't eat the poor octopus when it comes up to shake your hand, or otherwise you'll betray their trust, and that would be. Have a you eaten octopus thing. before? I probably asked this, but I, I have did once. I didn't like it. Have you eaten it, Zach? Yes. Yeah, I didn't care for it. Yeah, I don't like I the taste. People around here love it. There's a lot of octopus in the water, and people go spearfishing for them. All right, so after that discussion, what do you guys think? Send us an email. I know you won't, but I'm going to pretend like you might. But here's the plan. Luke is going to read the book Jesus's Doings, which is Clarence Jordan's version of Luke. I will read... The Happenings, which is Jordan's version of the Book of Acts. Scott will be reading the first and second letters to the church in Atlanta. And in hindsight, this was a bad idea. <laughs> because that is Jordan's version of first and second Corinthians. Now, Excellent. Scott has the biggest challenge this week, I think. Because, Luke, our sections are mostly narrative. And like I said, there's a lot of merit when you're looking at it in a narrative standpoint. It does get a little bit screwy when you get into doctrine. <laughs> so I think Scott is going to have an aneurysm before <laughs> next Thursday. <laughs> it should make for a good show. <laughs> but, you know, I think it will be interesting to see our differing opinions on the Americanized story of the Bible. Now, obviously, because it's a book, there is no trailer to review. But don't you worry, fellas. I've got something for us to watch anyways. Oh, this is great news. In 1981, an off-Broadway musical premiered at the Lambs Theater. The story was called Cotton Patch Gospel. And it was a one-man show with a bluegrass, a comp, a comp, a comp, a fellow that played the bluegrass backing the actor. Uh, The musical was based on the Cotton Patch version of Matthew and John, and I found a pretty good version of the play's take on the Good Samaritan parable. Oh, that's going to be good. (laughs) One time, there was a white insurance salesman on his way to Nashville who ran out of gas. (laughs) So he pulled off I-65 and flagged down the first car to come along. Unfortunately, it was a stolen one loaded with a gang of hoods. They stabbed him, robbed him, left him by the interstate for dead. The first person to come along was the president of a very large southern denomination. <laughs> <laughs> when he Why saw is that the funny? salesman, he said, 
Thank you, Lord. But in your sovereignty, you have appointed the state <laughs> trooper to take care of these situations. The next vehicle to come along is a $175,000 bus owned by a hot gospel quartet. It had a wall-to-wall carpeting, two color TVs, and a Coca-Cola machine. They were brushing up their big hit for the year. Well, there ain't no busy signals on the hotline to God. Amen. There ain't no bad batteries in our Savior's hot rod. Mm, preach it. Well, when that group saw the There's always fertilizer in the Holy Spirit's side. Always fertilizer? In the Holy Spirit's side. Oh. Yeehaw! The hotline to God. Alright, I now agree with Scott. Blasphemy. Oh, I'm loving this. Hey, we still got a two minutes left. Sides. We got this. Look at all those huge glasses in the audience. Y'all want to hear the flip side? No. Hey! Do you want to hear flip side? They want to hear the flip side. <laughs> Title of the podcast. What is it? Did you see that woman in the back with a yellow dress just sitting there looking dumbfounded like he's mad? That's going to be Scott's ringtone come next week. I want to hear the flip side. I saw the salesman sprawled out by his car. They put the pedal to the metal. They had an album signing session in Nashville. They weren't about to miss. Well, just minutes before the poor guy bled to death, here comes a black truck driver on his way to North Nashville to make a delivery deadline. And when he saw the white victim, he stopped, got out, wrapped the man in an old blanket, and took him off to the hospital. Aww. Now, you all think about that story and behave toward everybody on this planet like you would like for everybody on this planet to behave toward you. In a nutshell, that's everything I've got to say. I wish that was the end. Like, I wish he just said, in a nutshell, and then didn't finish. Gone. <laughs> just walked off. Like, that's how I want to end every show from now on. Guys, thank you so much for listening to the Rotten Righteous Podcast. In a nutshell. <laughs> I, I, you know, yeah, it was silly, but it does make the point. And that was, you know... I relate more to the struggle between the white man and the black man and the divide between those two races than I do between the Jew and Gentile. Yeah. Now, I say that as a layperson. Of course, I know the hatred between those two being a scholar of the Bible. But if I'm approaching it as just the average ordinary person, the Jews hated the Gentiles the way that the KKK hates black people. Okay, now I get it. 
Yeah, I think um, like the lesson that would that would be especially impactful if you were watching that, you know, in the I don't know what time period that was, 80s, 70s, 80s. Mm-hmm. But uh, when segregation and all that was still, especially in the South, was still a big deal. And I th- you think segregation in the South was a big deal in the 80s? Uh, I, I think Jim Crow came along and was ended way before that. Well, there was still segregation. Uh, there was still racism issues going on, obviously. No, all of our racism issues are solved in the Oh, country. okay. There is none. Oh, I, yeah, I heard, I heard that uh, somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> but... I think one of the the more I read the Bible, the more I realize that we actually have just the exact same problems that they had back then. But it's sometimes really hard to see that because they're set in different contexts, right? And so, I can see some value in that. Like I, I appreciate the lesson that was taught there in the way that it was because you know you look at the uh, like you were talking about the Jews and uh, Samaritans, and you're like, well, I don't I don't treat anybody that way. And then when it's revealed that you do, <laughs> it's uh, it can have a I feel like stroking Scott's anger up just a little bit more with our final little segment of the day. And that is, I'm going to read a few selected passages from the Cotton Patch Gospel, and I'm going to remove a word. And then it is your guys' job to tell me the word that I removed. Let me put on my best Clarence Jordan voice. When Jesus was born in Gainesville, Georgia, during the time that Herod was governor, some scholars from the Orient came to Atlanta and inquired, Where is the one who was born to be Blanca, Georgia? We saw his star in the Orient and came to honor him. This news put Governor Harrod and all his Atlanta cronies in a tizzy. So he called a meeting of the big-time preachers and politicians and asked if they had any idea where the leader that was born in Gainesville, Georgia, and they replied, because there's a Bible prophecy which says, and you, Gainesville, in the state of Georgia, are by no means the least of the Georgia delegation. From you will come forth a blank who will wisely guide my chosen people. The governor. Hmm. Do you agree or disagree, Luke? Um, I'll agree. Do you like my southern accent, Scott? I thought it was pretty good. No. I hate the whole thing. But I got <laughs> to go governor. I got to go home and shower. <laughs> All right, Scott gets a point. It was the governor of Georgia. Of Georgia. Uh, let's see who we've put our faith in, boys. The blood now, of the governor in, of Georgia. See, I would have thought that Jesus at least qualified to be president. Um That's for me. This comes from us from Matthew 3. <clears throat> this guy John was dressed in blue jeans and a leather jacket. And he was living on blank and blank. Folks were coming to him from Atlanta and all over North Georgia to the backwater of the Chattahoochee. And as they owned up to their crooked ways, he dipped him in the Chattahoochee. Living on blank and blank. He was... Gotta be Spam and, and crawfish. I was going to say uh, grits and crawdads. Cornbread and collard greens. <laughs> I could live on cornbread. Oh. Greens? Nah. <laughs> this is one of my favorites. Shortly afterward, he urged his students to get into the boat and go on over ahead of him. 
while he dismissed the crowds. When he dismissed them, he went into the mountains to pray privately. As the sun set, he was there by himself. By this time, the boat was some distance from the shore. The wind was against him, and the waves were giving them fits. Late at night, Jesus came to them walking on the lake. His students saw him walking on the lake, and it scared the daylights out of them. It's a haint! They screamed. It's a haint? But Jesus, I don't know, it's H-A apostrophe N-T. Haint. haint. That's where we're going. Haint! 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 But Jesus quickly called to them. Y'all, take it easy. <laughs> Wait, I have a definition. This is called, on Google. God do Haint. Especially southern U.S. alternative form of haunt. Ah. ah. There you go. Y'all. Jesus quickly called to them. Y'all, take it easy. This is just me. Don't be too scared. Rock called out. Sir, if it is you, tell me come walking on the water. To you. Jesus said, come on. Rock clambered out of the boat and started walking on the water, heading for Jesus. But when the wind hit him, he got scared stiff and began to sink and yell, Save me, sir! And once Jesus put his hand and grabbed him. Why'd you lose your nerve, blank? Jesus asked. Youngin? Baby faith. Baby faith. <laughs> Little faith. I like how they just call Peter Rock. I think I'll do that. I'll probably do that from now on. This one comes from Jesus' doings, chapter 2. After they had finished carrying out the rules and regulations of the church in regard to the child, they brought him to the bishop in Atlanta to dedicate him to the Lord, just as the scripture said. Every first baby, if it's a boy, shall be dedicated to the Lord. Also, they wanted to make a thank you offering, as the scripture said, of the equivalent of a couple of blanks or two friars. Uh, crows? Look up... Fr- chickens. Look up friars. Chickens, I bet. Friars? What is... Friars in southern friar bird, but it is a couple of ducks or two friars. Couple ducks or couple chickens. Friar birds. Um, Friar bird is an actual bird, but I don't think that's what they're referring to. I kind of think it's a reference to chicken. Maybe it is. All right, this one comes from the happenings. Chapter 22. But he said to me, get moving, because I'll make you a friend of the blacks. They was listening to him until he said that word. Then they began screaming, send him back to blank. He got no right to live here. While they were yelling bloody murder and working themselves into a lather and throwing pop bottles, the chief ordered Paul to be taken into city hall and told some of the cops working or to work him over to see if they could find out why the mob was after his hide. As they were getting ready to do this, Paul asked an officer who was standing there, Is it lawful to deny an American citizen his constitutional rights before you even tried him? And the officer went to the chief and said, You better be careful what you do, because this cat's talking about his constitutional <laughs> rights. So send him back to the blank. Uh. Mm-hmm. Wait, who? I missed that one. Where, did, who, where is that said? This is Acts 22. Paul is taken to uh into roman captivity for the first time well there you have it i'm looking forward to this 
Scott. Luke, how are you feeling? If I if you were to guess what your ranking's gonna be next week, what are you what are you what are you thinking, Luke? You know, it's gonna depend on how good these illustrations are. I mean if he's got some good illustrations, I'll be I'll be somewhat pleased with it. Um right. so I'm just gonna give it a nice even five. Yeah. You know, I'll give it a I'm going to give it a seven just to offset whatever terrible number Scott's going to give it because I don't think it deserves that. I, I Now, listen, I've read the first two chapters of Acts today. Uh, I tried not to read ahead, but I did read the first two chapters. Um, like I said, when he gets into doctrine, things get screwy, but as long as he sticks to narrative, I, I think there's value and merit in it. So today I'm going to give it. Rotten or Righteous. Scott's going to give it a so 1. So it, it's a 4.33. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Good land. I think it deserves at oh, least a 6, but whatever. Closest blasphemy was to Righteous? It's, it's blasphemy. not blasphemy. Oh. How can you say it's blasphemy after my arguments? Suck. It's sacrilege. No, they didn't. It's insulting. It's showing contempt to God's word. Okay, let's take a let's take a real quick vote. Luke, would you consider this blasphemy? And uh, never mind. Why am I even asking you? <laughs> Wait, I have a I have an, an honest opinion. Oh, that would be a shock. I think the passages that you read, I can understand from an illustrative purpose. Now, the video we watched, <laughs> blasphemy. <laughs> you just don't like bluegrass. <laughs> no, I think there's a difference between like trying to help somebody understand, which it seems like this guy was honestly trying to do. Now, right. he might have been terrible. I, I don't know. But and then there's like the the problem. Well, then there's like Christian humor for the sake of being funny, and I feel like that so quickly turns into like a disrespect. And I feel mm-hmm. like that's kind of where that was. That song. No, I, I get it. Yeah, I agree with you. Now, keep in mind, the song, Clarence Jordan didn't have anything to do with the musical. Don't base your, yeah, I thought so. your opinion on the, the his book on the musical. The musical was, came after Jordan died. Yeah, about almost 10 years after he but, died. Uh, so when you, when you polled uh, us, it's uh, one and a half to one and a half. <laughs> How, what? <laughs> it's one and a half to one and a half. <laughs> I know Luke said that the gospel or the book was a blasphemy, but the musical was. That's right. So he's half on one dealing side with the and musical. half on the other. Okay, just dealing with the book, Luke. Blasphemy or no blasphemy? From what I've seen so far, I would say no. Okay, and I would say no too. Blasphemy. Two to one. <laughs> this is why I love apologetics, but I don't think they work. No matter how logical you can be. When somebody has their heart made up on something, they just close their eyes to the truth. It's not the truth. The cotton patch is not the truth. It's not claiming to be the truth. What's it claiming to be? An aid! A study aid! Blasphemy. Oh, good night. (laughs) That's not... I actually think the Narnia example is... A pretty good one. Thank you. As far as like what this is trying to be, like if if that is actually what it's trying to be, like that's a good parallel. And it is because no, Jesus isn't a lion, and he's not like I have no idea what all the details of that book are, but um, but it's pic- It's just a picture, yes, to help you kind of get your head wrapped around it. 
All right. I think it's time to end this before we kill Scott. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to hear him admit that it's not blasphemy. That's all I want. That didn't happen. We'll, I know, we'll but see. that's all I want. We'll see next week. All right. I may switch sides to the blasphemy side in order to uh, pit ourselves in a majority against you, Zach. Well, I would expect no less from you, Luke. But with that, let's end the show. Thank you so much for listening. And real quick, before we go, a woman was on trial for beating her husband to death with his guitar collection. The judge asked, first offender? She said no, first a Gibson, then offender. Thank you so much. We'll be back next week. And remember until then to say your prayers and obey your parents. Bye-bye. And study the inspired scripture. You know, I'm not even a preacher. Oh, hello there. I didn't see you. I reckon you can't. <laughs> Hold it together. Is this how we're starting the show? Yep, this is how we're starting the show. Hold it together. We got this.